Hi, this is Justin Norman, pastor of Knobs Baptist Church. We'd like to welcome you to the Knobs Baptist Church broadcast. We thank you for joining us and we hope that you'll stay tuned for just a few moments as we have a special song and a message from God's Word. Revelation chapter 14 tonight. Be continuing in our study here in Revelation. Revelation chapter 14. I'll try to get everything situated right here. Revelation chapter 14. <clears throat> now, something I want to mention, I hadn't mentioned the past several weeks because we've really got uh, into our study looking at uh, this a world empire, if you will, that we've been studying. I uh, even referring back to Daniel's. We're studying Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7. And uh, the last several chapters I'd like to bring to your recollection, uh, if we may have forgotten, we're still in this parenthetical. Now, uh, some of you may ask, may have forgotten, or uh, some of you first time realizing that I, I've said this is a parenthetical, as many would describe it. 
uh, the last uh, couple chapters, pretty much from chapter 10 to chapter 14, uh, there's many theologians, commentators that I've read, they call this section uh, a parenthetical or something in uh, parentheses. And we see that uh, it's pretty much highlighting the context of the events that are taking place, but we see no further advancement of the narrative. That's pretty much what this parenthetical has done. It's went in some more detail, and that's where we have slowed down, took our time for the last several chapters, and I even found it fitting to go back to Daniel and study a couple weeks uh, there to try to get an idea or a gist of what some of these beasts are that we've seen. And uh, to get some more details on these uh, last days, if you will. Uh, but we see here in chapter 14, uh, we wrap up this so-called parenthetical. Uh, this parenthetical we see, uh, there's another vision which Daniel had saw, or uh, uh, John had saw here in chapter number 14. And we won't finish it tonight, but I would like to point out a few things uh, that are of utmost importance in our study tonight. But uh, in chapter 14, we will wrap up this parenthetical. And you'll notice in chapter 15 and 16, uh, we'll see uh, those two chapters really go on to further or advance the narrative of this tribulation period. We see here in chapter 14, let's begin reading in verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the, of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image 
and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. We see in this passage of Scripture, the first uh, couple of verses here in chapter number 14, and we'll look at the judgment that is to come uh, next week here in chapter 14 and finish that up next week. But we see here, first of all, I'd like to point out, as we've read, the Lamb. Here in verse number 1, verses 1 through 5, we see this Lamb uh, with the redeemed standing on Mount Zion. Now we see this Lamb as it's standing on Mount Zion, and certainly uh, we can consider just as we have uh, the rest of our interpretations, we can consider this vision as John, he said, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now that's what verse 1 says, and certainly uh, we can look at this vision as John saw this Lamb standing with this multitude of people on Mount Zion as a heavenly vision and uh, with earthly things that were to follow or ensue. And certainly there's much detail here that we've done picked up, things that we could very quickly establish. But before we do so, I believe it's fitting that we realize and come back to our mode of interpretation before we very quickly or hastily uh, try to interpret this passage. Let's not forget this is the parenthetical. Let's not forget also that these, just as all these visions, were heavenly visions of earthly things that were to follow. And we see this word or this phrase as this lamb was standing, uh, stood on the Mount of Sinai. Now, this Mount Sinai could be considered uh, in an eternal sense, which I believe it is. I believe this Mount Zion is considered as the kingdom of God in which we see the Lamb standing and with these 144,000 that were to come out of this tribulation period. Now we see that uh, this Lamb is standing not only on Mount Zion or this kingdom of God in this heavenly vision of John's, but we see also with him are these 144,000. I believe these 144,000 are none other than the 144,000 that we've seen earlier, uh, those that were sealed. We have 12,000 out of the 12 tribes of uh, Israel, 12,000 out of each tribe. Now, we see this 144,000 certainly standing with this lamb upon Mount Sinai, and we see much description of this 144,000 going into further detail of who they are or what they are. For we see these 144,000, as we've known uh, in our study, as Israelites that were sealed for this moment of time through this tribulation period. The Lord had put his mark, his seal upon them. Uh, just as Satan had put his mark upon his people, didn't he? And we see last week this mark of the beast that was to be distributed unto all, by the way, and those that would not take would be these 144,000 that were sealed by God. We see that 
It's the scripture says, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. We see some more detail about these 144,000. Particularly, we can make note of how the scripture uh, describes them as virgins, or certainly they were spiritually pure. Oftentimes, we read of Israel or Israelites in the Old Testament, and uh, they are oftentimes, especially uh, through the book of Psalms, I do believe, uh, you'll find this relation as Israelite, these Israelites or Israel as a nation uh, were much considered the, the bride or the wife of God. And uh, when Israel would uh, oftentimes, as they did, as you read the Old Testament, uh, oftentimes they would falter and fall and they would stumble and fall and they would turn their backs on the Lord. And uh, they were considered, as you read, and you'll find this as well, and a lot of your major prophets, well, matter of fact, any of your prophets in the Old Testament, uh, it was considered uh, certainly a spiritual adultery for this nation to turn their back on God. And uh, we see that these individuals, these Israelites, these 144,000, which the Scripture says they have uh, the Father's mark in their foreheads, uh, these individuals certainly... Uh, are described as being virgins or certainly spiritually pure. And we see this same relation throughout the Old Testament for Israel. Uh, and I believe the same can apply here for the scripture says in verse number four, these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These, are, these were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Now we see, first of all, that uh, they are described as spiritually pure, but also uh, they are spiritually kept clean by God. I believe hence the uh, sealing or this mark of God, their Father in their forehead. We see that their mouth was without guile. It was kept clean. And if you can imagine and put uh, this passage of scripture with this context of what's going on, these people were going through this great tribulation. And for the Lord to say this about somebody in verse number five, after what all they had went through during this tribulation period, it says a lot. It says, and their mouth was found no guile and they are without fault before the throne of God. I believe without a doubt this sealing, this electing of God on these 144,000 is certainly exemplary of 
uh, God placing his hand and hedge of protection around these individuals. I, it, it's nothing else but the divine providence of God to keep a man clean in such a wicked hour as we have been reading about. You know as a Christian how hard it seems to go through this course of life today without messing up and without faltering and failing. I know I fail each and every day. But can you imagine for the Lord to say something such as this? And my friend, I believe it's those in which he has his hand upon. For he has a special work in a ministry for these 144,000, as we've seen in our study as well. We see that they are without guile. They have no guile or kept clean, especially through this awful time of tribulation. But most importantly, we can point out tonight about these 144,000 is that they are redeemed among men. As the scripture says, these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. These redeemed most certainly. Now, I don't believe in all this, uh, I don't believe in all this uh, pre-election, I guess you could say, or predestination, as if God had elected them. They didn't have no choice, and they were the ones He was going to use, and they were going to heaven just because the Lord said so. No. The scripture says they were redeemed from among men. Being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. I believe that they know the same way of salvation which you and I would know today. These 144,000 are those that certainly are saved through and of this tribulation period. Of the nation of Israel. And my friend we see that. There ain't nobody going to be able to get to heaven or nobody can get to the Father just as Jesus said, but through Him, He's the only way. And uh, we see most importantly that these individuals, these 144,000 were redeemed. And they are the first fruits, as the scripture says, unto God and to the Lamb. First fruits of this as you could say, eternal kingdom, which is to be established. We see a beautiful picture of Christ coming back. We see him on this Mount Zion. We see him almost in a sense as if the battle is already finished. And he had done, finished the battle and established everything just the way he would want it to be. And uh, it's amazing to see the beautiful picture uh, that he is painting before us here in chapter number 14, the first few verses. And that's the, I guess that's the beauty of this parenthetical is the details that it begins to unfold and describe about this second coming of Christ. We've talked about it, but to see some intricate little details and as we continue our study, we'll see more of this second coming of Christ as the narrative begins to advance further. Now, not only do we see the Lamb and the redeemed which were standing with Him or these 144,000 of Israel, but we see also in verses number 6 uh, through 11, we see uh, an angelic proclamation. For we see in verse 6, let's read it once again. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, 
having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. We see first of all in this angelic proclamation, we see an angelic proclamation of the gospel. Here in uh, verse number 6 and verse number 7 as well. For certainly it's described as this first angel uh, is preaching or presenting or proclaiming this everlasting gospel. We see that this gospel, even this gospel which you and I uh, believe in and preach and teach today, it is an ageless gospel. For the scripture says that uh, this angel is flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. Uh, certainly it is ageless, even to you and I today. Uh, my friend, this gospel and its establishment, uh, this whole workings, even throughout the scripture, which we know of as we know Christ from the start and uh, how he came to this old uh, sin-cursed world to die for you and I, you see. He died for the sinner man. And even from his time with the Heavenly Father, as we read of in the beginning, uh, my friend, this whole sense from uh, beginning of time as we would know it, even till the end of the age, and is still considered, still yet, an everlasting gospel. For this gospel which we preach, it is eternal. It is forever. And my friend, this everlasting gospel is something which this angel is proclaiming and pronouncing as we see in these few verses. Having then this everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So we see that this gospel is not only an ageless gospel, but we see that it is a boundless gospel. For certainly this angel is to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now whether this angel, I guess, and this was just a question I had, uh, whether this angel is one which is uh, such, uh, I guess, a representative of this gospel which we preach, I do not know. I don't know if there was a great responsibility for this angel. For certainly, if this angel is holding the everlasting gospel, I believe this angel has been holding, Brother Willie, the everlasting gospel. For it has existed. It is ageless. And it is everlasting. It is eternal. But uh, certainly this angel is even doing its work today. And that's what's amazing about uh, this prophecy. That's what's amazing about reading and studying this book. For we see this vision that John has seen as he has written it down. We read it and study it ourselves. But uh, we see these things, and I'm getting somewhere with this. Uh, we see these things even today. And we can take the principles of it and apply it to our lives today. We see this first angel having this everlasting gospel. Uh, this angelic pro proclamation of this gospel and how this gospel is ageless and boundless, but certainly it was sent to the hopeless. 
For the scripture goes on to say, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. We see such a begging and pleading uh, of this angelic being as he proclaimed or uh, brought forth this everlasting gospel in this verse. Uh, to take it unto those that were hopeless. Those that would eventually at some point uh, as they kept on following their course would stand in judgment before God. We see such the warning and that's what the gospel is, isn't it? Boy, it's hope to the hopeless. I'm thankful for that day when the Lord come by my way. When he sent this uh, everlasting gospel, this eternal gospel, my way. I heard about Jesus Christ. I heard about how he came to this whole world and died for me, for my sins. Boy, Brother Willie, it became personal. My friend, I reached a point in time in my life and I understood the fact that I would stand at judgment before God one day. At that moment, as the Lord broke me down like a double-barrel shotgun, my friend, I found myself as hopeless. But yet I had this message of an everlasting gospel that gave hope to a poor sinner boy like me. I'm thankful for that gospel tonight and how it is preached and proclaimed throughout the world. We see this angel even still yet in John's vision. Ain't that amazing? Still yet, we see this angelic proclamation of the gospel. We see secondly, there's another angel. Look at verse number 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now we see in this passage certainly an angelic proclamation of destruction. As we have read and studied and I'm, I'm certain that some people may be wondering, well, uh, what does Babylon have to do anything with this? And certainly somebody uh, that is new to reading or studying uh, this passage of Scripture may ask that question. May I remind you, we can go back a couple of weeks and look at our study in Daniel. Y'all remember the great image? And what was the head of that image? It was Babylon, wasn't it? You see, the first empire that was mentioned, that was established, if you will, for that great image, that head of gold. You see, the first beast, which we studied in chapter number 7 in Daniel, what was it? It was Babylon. Now, this Babylon is oftentimes, and we'll, this will not be the only place we find this. Uh, this Babylon is... Uh, the name in which this world empire is called. We see this Babylon and this world empire, as we'll see in chapter 17, as the woman upon the scarlet beast. We'll get there in due time. But we see this Babylon is oftentimes described as this world empire, as we've been studying, as it's entitled, in a sense, by its original name, one in which it had... Uh, created it or established it, this Babylonian empire, and how it still has wicked effects today. We see this Babylon and this angelic 
proclamation of destruction. How verse 8 declares such of an end of this global empire of wickedness. Now this global empire as we've been studying, it's not only political, is it? But it's also religious. It's a political system and a religious system that's wicked and rotten to its core. My friend, we see this angelic proclamation here in verse 8 that this great Babylon is soon to fall. Babylon is falling, is falling, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We see this angelic proclamation of destruction, but we also see this angelic proclamation of damnation. Look at verse number 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into his cup of indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Who are those angels and the Lamb? Ones we're reading of right now. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. We see here an angelic proclamation of damnation for certainly those that would worship this beast, that would worship this Babylon, if you will, this great city, this political and religious system that we have seen and studied as it is formed and fall in. We see those that would worship this beast and even the image but also partake of this mark that there was an eternal damnation, indignation, my friend, fiery judgment which is to fall upon those that fell in and drunk of the wine of the wrath of our fornication. For see, certainly, if an individual was willing to partake of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and enjoy her sin for just some season, you can be sure that that individual would partake of the same judgment that would fall upon her. We see each and every individual, even those that would fall down and worship this beast and his image and partake of this mark, each one would have their place of torment. Now, verse number 12 and verse number 13 are oftentimes used for various reasons in interpreting this passage of Scripture. But I found something interesting as I studied and uh, as I got to verse number 12 and verse number 13. It was fairly commonplace for uh, commentators to realize uh, verse 12 and verse number 13 as almost, in a sense, a beatitude. And uh, it, it don't have its own point tonight uh, uh, with along with the message that uh, we have studied tonight. But it, it has its own very meaning and principle. And uh, it's so special. For we see verse number 12 and 13, as I said, 
uh, in a sense, it is a beatitude in the midst of prophecy. And it's amazing to read it, for we see in verse 12, Scripture says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. We, You can almost feel the connection of John as he is pinning down these visions which he had saw. And then for a moment, it's as if the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to him. Just as Jesus on the mountain of Beatitudes and the great lessons that were learnt there. There was a personal lesson and a principle given in these two verses. But it's not just for John, but it's for you and I today as well. As we read such prophecy as this, I mean right after you read verse 11, and then you go right to verse 12. You go from one, I guess from uh, uh, one aspect of the context to a whole nother aspect. You go from one end to the other. You're talking about eternal damnation for those that believe not on the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about those that during this tribulation, those that have took this mark of the beast and have worshipped the beast in his image, those that have fell prey to Satan himself. But then on the other hand, boy, you see a blessed promise for the child of God. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. John said, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Now I've heard commentators, and I stopped right there for a reason, for I have heard commentators, and oftentimes as I have read this myself, I, I believe that it was speaking of that tribulation period. But we take this principle that is given in this beatitude, as John said, hey, he said, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, write this down. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Certainly there'll be people that would die during this tribulation. But this same principle applies to you and I today. This same principle as we look in the future, prophetically, of these wicked things that are to happen, these two verses give you and I some hope. For you know, as we face a wicked world today, as wicked as it is, as dark as it is, these two verses tell me one thing. Regardless of how dark it is, regardless of how wicked and sinful this world is, it's better for me to die as a martyr to this wicked world than to stand in judgment with it. Amen. Boy, we see how certainly if one, as verse 13 says, blessed are the dead 
which die in the Lord from henceforth. I believe it was from that very moment which John was writing. From that very moment on, you think of the age in which John was writing. If I remember right, just remembering off the top of my head, uh, Revelation was written in probably 90-something 90, 90 to 96 A.D. We studied that and looked over that at the first of our study, but that's been almost a year now. <laughs> but you think about the moment in time in which John was writing this and the persecution that this early church had faced. Not only does this principle apply in this tribulation, period, right here which we're studying. But we see the same principle applying even back when John was writing. You see how personal the Holy Spirit got with John? Look, look where John was at on the Isle of Patmos. He was suffering this persecution for the very gospel which he preached. And the angel that he had seen and the Holy Spirit which had spoke to him, he said, John, he said, write this down. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Boy, I believe John could see everything he had done, everything he had preached, everything he believed, everything he stood for. He seen that it was not in vain. And my friend, you can mark it down even for those 144,000 as it would seem kind of pointless. <laughs> Certainly, they have a ministry. They have a work in which the Lord has left them there to do. And in this darkness, boy, thank you, Tony, for bringing this right here. Thank you. That's hot. I don't know. Look here. Well, that light has a purpose. It's dark out here, ain't it? I mean, it's just dark as can be, besides the street lights. That's beside the point. This light has a purpose. This light has shone right here on this precious word tonight. It's helped me as I have looked through the scriptures to preach to you tonight. This light has had a purpose. And my friend, those 144,000 Though they seem like a small light in a dark world, they have a purpose. There's a reason for those individuals which God would leave during this time of tribulation. There's a reason even for you and I today, as it seems like the world is just going crazy, how wicked and awful it is, and you wonder why the Lord's not called us home yet. My friend, He's left us here for a reason. He has something for you and I to do. I believe without a doubt. That's why He's not called us home. We can take the very principles from this beatitude in verse number 13. Oh, my friend, your labor is not in vain. God will bless it. You can be sure and mark it down. Those they that may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There's a great work for you and I to do. You can be certain. God has something for us. And my friend, the Lord will bless us for it. 
I'm done. I, I, I'm just rambling right now, but I've got more on my 